This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Want to know what's going on in your neck of the woods and learn the history and the people behind the events that you love across the state? Get to know the real Mississippi. Check out MPB Think Radio's Next Stop Mississippi podcast on all platforms or on the MPB public media app. Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning outside? Woohoo! I mean, if you're in the summertime, this is a about as good as it gets. If you're not in the summertime, it's about as bad as it gets. But for the next hour, we're going to just talk about what you can do outside in the garden. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing, and being Java Chapman and all the other folks in Mississippi Public Broadcasting, we're going to open this screen door wide open and talk about what's going on or not in your garden this hot, muggy July weekend. And uh, we're going to talk with you about gardening in the middle of the worst dog days of the summer. Folks, we're going to get dirty. What's up with this, Java? What's up with the flyers of the moon? You know, we are nothing but stardust anyway. Yeah, we lost Tony Bennett this morning. I know, man. What you know, and uh, he's such a—he was a crooner, a crooner, an old-style crooner. So, and that was one of my favorite. I like the way uh, Frank Sinatra did that one too, because uh, you know we have a song from the '60s about from the Crosby, Seals, Dash, and Young. We are stardust. So when he said "Fly over the moon," that's what I think about every time. So anyway, how you doing, man? Is hot enough for you? Man, I am doing okay. I am not, but I am not okay with this new normal. I was listening to some news reports, and <laughs> I mean, it's just it, this this heat wave is quote unquote a way of life now. I don't, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, at, at, this is going on all over the world. So people don't want to talk about it. I get that, and if people don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk with them. But this is uh this is is, is a rapid change. Uh, in England, it's the hottest June in his, in recorded history. So that's yeah, just the way it is. But you know, but we're gonna be positive about gardening. If we end up having to grow more okra and sweet potatoes because they like hot weather, and more cactus instead of uh, uh, peonies, that's okay. We're gonna adapt because that's what gardeners do, man. We just one foot in front of the other. If you can't fix it, flee it or fight it. We're gonna flow with it. Now, That's Felder, I, I do have a little bone to pick with you, man. What's, you, what's that? What, what you what? really, you really play a lot of things close to the vest. You don't talk about some of the things that you go about and that you do. But we had to share you, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We had to share you <laughs> with one of the national NPR shows. Um, I believe it was Monday. You were on on the show One A from uh, WAMU. Yeah, how How'd you find out about that? You know, I don't talk about a whole lot of stuff I do with it because I don't want people to think I get the big head. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but it was a good it was a good thing that you represented. Uh, you know, they did say Felder Russian from the Gestalt Gardener on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You and it was actually like two of your friends, some people that you know um, very well. Oh, yeah, well. yeah. A lot, of, uh, a, lot, a lot of people, a whole lot of people know Mike McGrath. Mike was the, uh, he was the editor of Organic Garden Magazine for a long time. And he's hosted a program, carrying a lot of, of NPR stations called You Bet Your Garden. I've known Mike forever. He didn't play well in the South because he got that mid-Atlantic kind of a New Jersey twang, and he doesn't know how to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and how's your mama doing? But he's a really, really sharp guy. 
And the other gal, a whole lot of people from the Midwest know Melinda Myers. Melinda and I go way, way back as gar- uh, professional garden writers. And uh, she's just sort of a garden guru uh, from Wisconsin, but covers the whole upper Midwest. Anyway, uh, they put the three of us on there answering questions. And I got to tell you, Java, I sort of held back. I don't know if you could tell that or not. Well, I will say it was funny because it basically you were saying the exact same thing you weren't trying to put on for the national folks, like you, you know, um, doing something different than you do every Friday here at the Gestalt Gardener. But it was one question came from, I believe it was a person from Cincinnati, and they were talking about uh, Japanese beetles. And then you, the first thing I just said, we got these same Japanese bugs, these same Japanese beetles in Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> we're dealing with the yeah, same yeah, thing. And, you know, the other two hosts, which are national experts, they didn't have any advice either. I, I thought it was interesting. A fellow from uh, Arkansas wanted to know about how to grow rhubarb, and Mike McGrath kicked in about, you know, how they grow it up north. I'm sorry, Mike, but this is the south. We don't do it the same way down here. And uh, I, I, I will say this. I held back on one important thing. You know, M- M- Melinda is real technical. She's a, she's a university person. She really knows herself. Mike, sort of a personality type of guy, but uh, they didn't want to hear what I had to say about one thing. Some lady called up about her dogwood tree was dying. She said it was about 30 years old. And, you know, Java, you and I, we hear that all the time here in Mississippi. Dogwood trees don't live to be a long time. I mean, there's some old ones. Most of them start petering out about then. Anyway, both of them said, uh, not much you can do about it. You need to cut it down or have somebody cut it down and haul it away. And I didn't say a word. But, you know, I would have said, why not just leave it there, hang a birdhouse in it, let the wildlife live in it. You know, maybe uh, there'll be some beetles or some woodpeckers. And, you know, if nothing else, you can always cut the branches back and stick blue milk or magnesia bottles on the limbs. But they didn't want to hear that. I don't think, no, they didn't want to hear that. <laughs> no, you know, folks out folks outside the south, outside Mississippi, they don't understand that we have a different approach towards gardening as well as do sort of life, just different lifestyle but in the midwest and in new england they have to be in a hurry all the time because winter's coming well we're not in a hurry and if you get in a hurry you're gonna get hot and it's gonna make people around you mad so just relax that's just and that's what we do here on the gestalt gardener so um Anyway, it's a call-in program. You going to let me know when we got some callers on the line? Yeah, I will. But I was going to say one more thing about that um, the one A um, interview. It is available as a um, on their website. So if anybody missed it, you can go back and listen or inside the MPB Public Media app. But one common theme, and it was like you just said, uh, countrywide, actually worldwide, was the heat and the flowers not being able to cool off at night and how is this, you know, affecting production and, and, you know, uh, how your gardens are looking these days. And, and that was just, you know, no matter where, where the calls were coming from, Cincinnati, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, you know, down here in the South, the heat is a real thing. Yep. Heat, you know, but that's something we learn how to deal with. You know, we know that, you know, you don't go outside in the middle of the day and this time of year, Java is one of the most challenging because it's just suffocating. And, and not only that, but people out West and in hot, dry places, they don't understand that because of our humidity, we can't, our sweat won't evaporate. So you have, you know, stuff dripping off your elbows and because your body can't evaporate, it can't cool off. So it's real, real easy to get heat stroke here just because our natural cooling system 
which is based on evaporative air, just like an old Volkswagen, it just doesn't work. So you've got to stay hydrated. Or like uh, like we learned not too long, grab a glass of old splashy, sip on some moist. So anyway, we have to deal with it. And as far as um, the, the change, one of the problems is people saying, well, we can grow plants that are adapted for like Florida. Well, we still have winter here. It's hot. It's dry. Uh, and fire ants are moving north. Poison ivy is moving north. But we still have hard freezes. And I'm dealing with so many calls uh, and emails and on the Mississippi Gardening Facebook about plants that were damaged by last winter, which wasn't that bad a winter, but it was sudden, the first freeze, and that last freeze caught plants off guard. So we're still dealing with winter damage, as hot as it is right now. And I'm telling people right now, if your plants haven't sprouted out, you know, your your bay laurel, your crepe myrtle, uh, your fig tree, your, um, what's the other ones I'm getting calls about, uh, sweet, sweet olive, if they haven't branched out up high, they're not going to. So go ahead and cut them back as soon as you can. Thin out all that clutter that's growing at the bottom. Let them become new trunks. And people say, well, Feller, you just don't understand. I'm thinking, yeah, I do. I lost a huge uh, bay laurel, the cooking laurel. I had to cut my fig way back, and I lost an 80-year-old cliera tree that was it framed my front porch. I lost those. I, I understand. The difference is instead of cutting it to the ground, I cut my uh, my cliera, which had trunks bigger bigger around than my thigh. It had five trunks big as my thigh. I cut them off level, and, and I put a, a round uh, plate uh, glass tabletop on it. So I got me a nice little glass round table in my front yard where there used to be a, a tree. I'm going with the flow, man, just going with the flow. Uh, folks, uh, it is a live program here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. If you want to talk about your garden, maybe your spring or summer garden's petering out, you want to know what can I plant for the fall or what can you do till then. If you've got problems with your lawn or house plants, uh, bugs or blight, I am in England. I just went to the Tatton Park Royal Horticulture Society show where I got recognized by a master gardener from Houston. And we're going to be talking about that, but I'd rather talk about whatever's on your mind. Horticulture's fell to rushing here, and we've got the lines wide open. It's a chance to talk with somebody who knows a lot of stuff but doesn't know it all, not afraid to learn stuff, not afraid to change my recommendations if I learn stuff that I can really count on because I'm a scientist. And a lot of people have these ways of doing things that that work, but they don't work as well. And um, we're going to touch touch on that in just a minute. But um, I also want to mention that I've got a really, really cheesy song. Java, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it, but when we come up with our cheesy tune, it's really appropriate. <laughs> but uh, anyway, one of the things that a lot of folks are dealing with right now, um, plants staying either too wet or too dry. And those folks that have raised beds have really got the bed. I'm talking about not just uh, rectangular things framed up in wood, but even raised flower beds around the front of your house or out in the yard. If you dig the dirt a good shovel deep or so, which is really hard to do, really hard. I mean, the older I get, the more I appreciate already having that done. But if you can dig a shovel deep, turn that dirt over and add stuff to it, sort of like crackers to chili, and fluff it up, then is is deep enough where you don't have to your, your plants will have roots where you don't have to water so much when it gets hot and dry but it's raised up enough so if you do have a long period of rain or too much water at one time the plants won't rot so somewhere between partly sunk and partly raised 
is a great way to go. Uh, unfortunately, once you've got things in the ground like, like shrubs, small trees, not much you can do about that. But uh, one thing you can do to help is to mulch by putting bark or pine straw. I, I prefer bark over pine straw, and I, I can get into the reason why. But either one, if you'll, if you'll put some of that on top of the ground, a foot or two or three or more out from the trunks of plants, not only does it keep it nice and, and, and fluffy, it keeps the soil loose, but when it rains, uh, the water hits the moss and it trickles into the soil instead of running off or compacting. Um, so mulch helps water get it better, but also it feeds worms, which come up at night and eat the moss, and they take it down deep, and their tunnels make really good uh, pathway for water and air and rooster growth. So mulch is a really good approach. Uh, before we go any more, uh, and I've got a, I've got a qu- an answer to a question that nobody really asked. Uh, let's go talk to Lance. And Lance, I'm not sure where you're calling from. Where are you, man? I'm in Carrier, Mississippi. So what's going on in Carrier? I tell you, I got my pepper plants, my habanero and ghost peppers. They're doing so well. They're growing into each other. I mean, they really bump a crop. But should I prune them back to give it a little air space, or do I just let them grow well, up? tangle up with each other well you know if you got it, it'd be better if they had a little air circulation plus it gets more sunshine so you might want to thin out you know a branch here a twig there you know just sort of thin them out a little bit you don't have to do any heavy pruning but uh that would get more light in there more air circulation less likelihood of getting a disease which we can get diseases in this heat and humidity so i'd thin them out rather than prune them back does that make sense yes sir it sure does and uh like some of my fruit have a little black spot on them, kind yeah. of looks like a little rock maybe. Yeah. Uh, Do you know what that is? Peppers can get, well, without looking at it, I can only guess, but I can tell you, peppers uh, get a lot of the same diseases as tomatoes. They're kind of, and they can get blossom end rot with the, the end of it away from the stem decays. And that's just uh, lack of calcium, your fertilizer, or else the plants are staying a little too wet or a little too dry. But if it's on the very end of the fruit, that's called blossom end rot. Just need to watch your watering. If it's on the sides here and there, we have a lot of bacteria and fungal diseases. Sometimes sunscald that can cause spots. And so if it's on the side, uh, I think thinning out your branch or getting better air circulation there it, without exposing them to a lot of hot, hot all-day sun, I think that'll fix. So just a little thinning out. See if that doesn't work. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate your call. Thanks, Lance. Now let's slide. Let's skip right over Mississippi. Keep on going east on Interstate 10 and go to Mobile, Alabama. Louise, what's going on today? What are what's up? Oh, you know, two or three things in my yard are dying or have died because of the heat, and I guess that's that's pretty normal right now. One of them is a lantana, and then I had even a sago all of a sudden turned yellow. <laughs> but my main question yeah. is about crabgrass it doesn't die it just it just grows and wonderful yeah. all over my dog is there anything yeah. you can do about it what yeah yeah now what's what's it growing in mostly is it mostly in the lawn or flower beds or what where is it growing mostly it's in the lawn and it crawls if i let it crawls into the flower yeah. bed you know the pinnacle yeah 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 well the reason i'm asking because you can spray stuff for it in the lawn that you can't spray for in flower beds. But what it, if you want to spray, you have to choose something that says for grassy weeds. There's, a, there's two major kinds of herbicides out there. One that controls 
Well, there's one that controls everything, but but some kill broadleaf plants like dandelions and stickers and stuff. Some are uh, have to be used on grasses, crabgrass, goosegrass, that kind of stuff. So you need to choose one that says for it'll have crabgrass on the label. Here's the problem, uh, Louise. Crabgrass, once it grows, uh, it takes a lot of herbicide to kill it. So unless you can take a little hoe with a sharp edge and just sort of just chop it up like that, pull it up, then it's going to take. You're going to have to really spray some 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 weed killers on it that might damage your grass. So you need to go with a crabgrass killer that's safe for, to use on. What have you got, St. Augustine or centipede grass or what? One of those. <laughs> Yeah, you need to choose a weed killer that says for controlling crabgrass in St. Augustine, and the, and the garden center person can help you. And then, and a liquid spray is going to work a whole lot better than a granule. So don't worry about weed and feed stuff. You can prevent a lot of this next year because crabgrass comes up from seed by putting out a pre-emerge. It's a granular stuff that keeps crabgrass seeds from sprouting, but it's too late for that now. So right now, your choice is to chop it or pull it or squirt it with something that says four crabgrass as a liquid spray. Those are your choices. Okay. Sorry. When you said pull it, you mean just pull those long tentacles one by one. But I have... I mean, oh, no, no. No, no, no. you gotta, you got to get it got to get it at the roots. Got to get it at the roots. There are weed killers that will kill crabgrass that won't hurt St. Augustine, but you got to squirt it on them. Um, but if you're going to try to pull it, you, you got to get the whole plant. It's just going to come right back. This is a real frustrating problem. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, I haven't tried that one yet, so that's going to be my next step. Thank you very much, Shelter. Okay, when you go to a garden center, say you want something that you can spray on crabgrass that won't hurt St. Augustine, and they should be able to point that point that to you on the label before you buy. And if they don't have anybody that can help you with that, you need to shop someplace else because they, they, they should know this stuff. So the big box like Lowe's and Home Depot, they probably wouldn't have that anyway. So I just go straight to a no. Oh, to a oh no, they, they would have they would they would have the product, but they may not be able to show you which one. It's really important. You need to get something that says for crabgrass, and it shows you how well, to I, use it on St. Augustine. It'll be on the label. I can read. I'm, I'm okay. I will look. Uh, okay. Okay. So much. Okay, well, well, good luck on it. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's real frustrating. When I go to garden centers and I go to the big box stores and I look at these kind of things, the labels can be confusing for me. So I just look at the big words. If it says crabgrass on the front, I turn it over and direction for use. It should say to use it on my kind of grass. Anyway, let's slide halfway between Mobile and, and uh, New Orleans. Let's go to Waveland. Sally, good morning. How are you doing on the Gulf Coast? Hey, good morning, Felder. Um, my question Hi. is yesterday I went out to uh, water my plants, and I had some little brown hairs growing in one of my uh, pots. And whenever I watered it, um, <clears throat> like spores went into the air, the dust. Yeah. So do I need to get yeah. rid of that Dirt? No, 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 no. There's there are a lot of different fungi and some molds that that grow naturally. They feed on decaying organic matter, which is the potting soil. This is natural, and uh, when the conditions are right, the temperatures, the humidity, the moisture, they send up their version of a flower. They're called uh, fruiting bodies, whether it's little hair thing or mushrooms or a mold looking stuff. This is their way of pro- um, 
of, uh, of reproducing, sort of like throwing seeds out. These seeds don't hurt your plants. They're feeding on moist, uh, humid, warm potting soil. That's all it is. So you can ignore it or scrape it off or maybe loosen up the potting soil and put some fresh mulch on top, some kind of mulch on top of your potting soil, even your potted plants. And that'll, that, that won't make the stuff go away because it's a beneficial thing, actually, for the soil, but it make it where it won't bother you as much. So scrape it up, put some fresh mulch on top, and try not to keep it. Let the plants get a little on the dry side before you soak. Try not to keep them wet. And then, but these aren't hurting your plants. Hello. Oh, I guess she got what she needed. <laughs> I guess so. Well, bye, Sally. Thank you for your call. Well, you know, there's a we're seeing a lot of stuff. Black spot on roses. We're seeing uh, diseases in the lawn. Uh, so many uh, hydrangeas getting leaf spots. Uh, fruit rots on stuff. It's real frustrating in our hot humid climate, especially a climate that doesn't cool down at night, and these fungi, because of our humidity and moisture, they grow really well overnight. Other places cools down, not as much of a problem. So about all we can do right now, and this is the bottom line thing, I'm not speaking as a horticulturist or plant pathologist, I'm speaking as a gardener who deals with this at home. Ignore it as best you can. Try not to water late in the day so plants hopefully dry dry off before dark. And this kind of humidity and rain, that's impossible. But just understand that fungicides do not cure diseases. They're protective films. You have to put them on before the leaf spots or before the, the fruit rot. Think about sort of like um, if you've got an insect, you can squirt it, it'll die. But if you've got a disease, the fungicides work like sun lotion. You put it on before you get sunburned to prevent sunburn. Once you get sunburned, uh, suntan lotion is not going to help. That's the way fungicides work. So pick what you can, prune the plants if you need to, get some healthy new growth, and if you want to spray a fungicide, that will keep the new growth from getting disease. But once it shows up, about all you can do is prune or whatever, fertilize, get new growth coming on, and hope it doesn't get disease. That's just the way it works. It works. That's how it works for me. So, Felder, that was the anyway, best. I, Felder, that was the best way to explain it. It's it, that's the the spray is like sunblock because once you get sunburned, nobody's applying sunblock. Then <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Folks, stay hydrated. Wear a hat. Garden in the morning. Relax a little bit. We will get through this, and it'll in two months. It's going to be September. So stick with us, folks. And now. It is answers to unasked questions with Felder Russian. All righty. Cal Petty, I had a listener send that to me, and I thought it was kind of, they said, yeah, you got to watch your step when the chips are down. And it got me thinking about man- manure, manure of, co- of all things. A lot of people know that we've used manure as fertilizer forever, but nobody's ever said, what's the real difference? in the garden between horse and cow and rabbit and chicken manure. So uh, have you ever had that question just come up, Java? You know, what's the difference in manures? Not particularly, but I do know you do, you cannot <laughs> use uh, puppy or dog manure. I know that for a fact. And that's, that's the answer to the question I asked. But let me say that real quick. You know, use of manure has been done forever. It's got good nutrients in it. Not a lot. But plenty. Matter of fact, if you use fresh manure, 
it can actually burn plants because it's got urea in it. It can really burn plants. So it's better to use manure that's been piled up for at least three or four months. Let it kind of go through a heat, let it compost. Not only do you not run the risk of burning plants, but you don't, a lot of times you don't have any weeds, weed seeds and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, rabbit, chicken, and cow manure are both all three commonly used here. They're a little bit different. Uh, rabbit manure has more nutrients than than chicken or cow manure. Uh, so if you want to use something really hot, go with the rabbit. Chicken would be the second strongest. Cow, horse manure, a little bit more. Here's the deal, though. Don't over-fertilize. You don't realize that this stuff has got a lot of nutrients. It only takes about 10 uh, 20 pounds or so of manure to 100 square feet. That's a big pint jar full per 10 square feet. So, you know, at 20, 25 pounds, something like that, is the most you should use on 100 square feet. So a big bag of cow manure is enough to do a whole garden because it really is nutrients. Here's the deal, though. The reason we don't use cat manure or dog manure uh, uh, uncomposted human manure because if if you use manure that's, that comes from meat eaters, it can have pathogens in it that can get into your soil that can come back and infect us if you don't wash your, your stuff. So uh, chicken, rabbit, cow, horse manure, a big bag will do a big garden. So it doesn't take very much at all. And if you have to have a choice, go with something that says composted on it because that means it's going to have already gotten the worst of the stuff that can burn your plants and weed seeds have been taken care of. So there, the answer to the question nobody really has. So the best manure is um, is vegan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, the, the problem is, though, if you just put a mulch out there, it, it, oddly enough, the manure that I use is called vermicompost. I use worm manure. And you can get that. There's a place, a, a, a company in Jackson that sells, they, they package this wonderful, wonderful vermicompost, which basically uh, worms come up at night, they eat grass clippings and dead leaves and stuff, and they circulate it down around the soil, and their, their manure is called vermi or worm compost. It's really, really, really good stuff. So, the way I do it is I just mulch my garden with tree leaves and bark. I throw a little cottonseed meal on top of the ground, which fertilizes my plants, and it bulks up my worms and let them spread it through the dirt for me. Felder, so, are you it, talking it, about you just, um, are you talking about worm works here in Jackson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. There's a lot of places all around that do that. You can even grow you can even grow your own in a uh, a, a plastic sweater box with some holes put in the lid, shredding up newspapers, putting in some chopped food scraps on some of these red wiggler fishing worms. They will turn that into beautiful worms. Uh, the only problem I've ever had, and by the way, it doesn't smell. It smells like wet paper. The only problem that I've ever had feeding newspaper to my, my, my worms, they have a hard time digesting the editorial section sometimes. It's a joke. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to laugh. <laughs> anyway, folks, one of the things I spend uh, uh, an hour or two a day on, I'm the administrator of a Facebook page called Mississippi Gardening. There's a whole bunch of great Facebook pages. I know a lot of people say, well, I don't do social media. You don't have to get involved to see what people – I mean, they've got a Mississippi mushroom page. they got a, a Mississippi snake page. they got all sorts of – but the one on Mississippi Gardening, real people – 
real gardeners write in and say, here's what is flowering in my yard today, or here's something, I don't know what this is, or what's wrong with this, and people chime in and give advice. And we've got a caller from Selber, Tennessee, named John. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Felder. I'm, I'm hoping your brain has grown faster than mine on this question I'm going <laughs> to give you, because I called you about three years ago regarding squash blossoms, uh, cucumber yeah. blossoms. I get so many of them, and I've heard different things from different people, and also the solutions that have been offered, they don't work. So what causes you, a person to have 10,000 squash blossoms and cucumber blossoms and only a few, and I mean a few, fruit? That's a good and question. Go, and, I, don't and, go, I don't go crazy well, I, fertilizing I, either. Yeah, well, here, here's the deal. Can you tell the difference between male and female blossoms? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. A lot of times if a plant is under stress early in the season or if it's under stress, including heat stress, water stress, fer- fertilizer, a lot of times they will make more male flowers than female flowers. Nothing you can do about that except hope that they grow out of it. So I'm not, I'm not guessing on this. This is the truth. We don't know exactly what your plants are doing, but it's usually stress where they put on a lot of males, not many females. And if you got male and female at the same time and still not making fruit, you just don't have any bees or pollinators out there. You're going to have to do it yourself by hand. So do you have both male and female at the same time? Yeah. I don't, okay. I don't, have you I don't ever have an opponent. Go ahead. Well, ha- have you have you ever hand pollen? Do you know about hand pollinated squash? Yeah. Okay, that's all you can do. If you got male and female flowers are open at the same time, if you just take a male flower and pollinate the female with it, you should have. You know, it's not as easy with cucumbers. It's real easy with squash, but um, that's that's all we can do, and that's pretty routine. It happens in my garden. I, I use netting to keep the, the uh, insects and stuff off mine, and I have to hand pollinate every morning out there. So, you know, that, that's all we can do. So if you got both male and female and they're not producing, that's a lack of pollinators. That's all it is. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I'm talking about when you don't get any male, I mean, excuse me, female blossoms, hardly a one. And I've been going through oh. this six or seven years, and I used to have a ton of both kinds of fruit, squash and cucumber. Okay, okay. So, so you don't have any flowers? I'm covered up in flowers. Are they male or the female? Are a, a few male, a few female, and mostly male. That's both well, the female is. If if you've got male and female open at the same time, and their females aren't making the fruits, that's a pollination issue. That's all it is. I mean, it's, it's real routine. This is common as muck. So uh, unless you get out there and hand pollinate, that's all you can do. Yeah, I'm you not know, it's real, about to it. me, it's, I don't have hardly ever a female blossom to pollinate. Okay, okay. if you've got mostly males and it's not producing a lot of females, the plants may be under some kind of stress. Too much water, not enough water, a little too much fertilizer, but that's a plant stress. It's not a genetic thing. It's going to be a, an environmental thing. I'm, I'm real sure of that. 
it's not a disease or an insect doing it. All, all you can do is just, back, you know, maybe plants are planted a little too close, but it's a stress thing that causes that, not anything you can spray or treat. Well, it could be. Sorry. I haven't, I haven't changed my methods much in many, 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 many years, and I have okay. very good ground. Okay. If you were to go online and say, why am I getting more male than female, they're all going to say it's some kind of environmental stress. Fertilizer, water, not enough water, crowded, not sunshine, stuff like that. It's not a disease. It's not a, 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 a genetic thing. It's going to be something about the environment. It's, it's real straightforward. So I, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to say it's nothing you can spray for or treat for. Just try to thin your plants out and try not to water too much, let them get too dry. You know, just the straight old boring answers, but that's what it boils down to. Sorry. Yeah, hopefully we helped you out um, this morning, John. But, Felder, we got a, a full load and, and and maybe enough time to get everybody in. So let's scoot over to Joanna in uh, Macomb and see if we can help her out this morning. Okay, my my grandparents' stomping grounds. I'm, my folks are from Pike County, Mississippi. What's up, Joanna? Good morning. I have three, actually I have three century plants in my yard. Two of them bloomed yeah. this year, and so wow. I don't know what to do now. Do I just sit there and allow nature to take its course, and they will die? I know they're going to die. They're probably already looking real bad because the, all the all the juice that goes on that flower gets sucked out of the leaves. There's you know there's there's no way to keep it from dying. When it flowers, it dies. But it sends up it has all these little small ones around the base of it. This way it happens right. you know, in Texas and Mexico in nature. So uh, you know just cutting it down all you can do. That's it. One thing I found out. Much to my surprise this year, and I've been growing agaves. I grow all different kinds of agaves, which is what Central Plant is. I didn't. My, my son and I took a chainsaw to his, and I didn't realize that there's this stuff in the sap that can eat you up like fire ants. So if you're going to do it, don't use a chainsaw because that, that sap, it throws it. This is like fire ants being thrown all over you. So all you can do is just take a saw to it. Cut it down. That's it. Whether you want to wait till it gets, uh, when it turns brown and slimy and dries up, it might be easier. But um, sooner or later, you're going to just have to cut it down. Okay. Now, I noticed that the, well, I call them leaves, at the bottom are turning yellow and dying. And my husband has cut those off before, before it even bloomed. So should he start that process or just wait until the whole thing dies? Well, if if it blooms, the whole thing is going to die soon. So whether he wants to do it now while he can grab it or let it shrivel up and dry up, you know, it d- doesn't really matter. Just sooner or later, going to have to remove the dead plant. Uh, it's not a. By the way, it's not a. As agave is growing, I've got three big ones on the corner of my my front yard. Three really really big ones. Um, as the new leaves come on, the older leaves, once they're a year or more old, they die naturally, just like on magnolia trees. You know, we just don't notice the magnolias as much. But those older bottom leaves, they're just old leaves, and they they, they only live for a year or two before they get replaced by new stuff. So that's kind of normal. So, you know, just cut off the bad stuff or parts of the bad stuff. But when the whole plant dies, you can let it dry completely up, and it'll be easier for them to pull out than uh, cutting through that juicy stuff right now. Okay, now it's about 20 feet in the air, if not taller. So is it going to dry up and fall over, or 
Oh, okay, the whole plant, you know, the big part, all the pointy leaves and all, you know, that big part, that's going to die too. Not just that, that, that telephone pole-looking thing with the flowers at the top. That's just a flower. The whole plant, the big thing, is going to die. And you'll have a bunch of little small ones growing around the base of it. But the whole plant's going to die. That's, that's the way it works. That's the way mine does. Okay. okay. So just sit back so, and watch yeah. it die. Yeah, sort of, you know, just enjoy the process because there's nothing you can do about it. But like I say, he can either cut it down as soon as y'all get tired of looking at it, he can cut it down then, or else just let it die completely down. It'll shrivel up and get hard dry. He can take a saw to it then. So either way, but the whole plant's going to die. I know I'm not that's a, a horticulturist felder, but we can we can make it a little more festive, Joanna, than just sit back and watch it die. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can you can you can put you can put red Christmas tree ornaments on the ends of all the branches, or marshmallows, or, or planting flowers. But there's no way we keep it from dying. I would have to get the fire department to come with the bucket truck to let me get up there and put ornaments on it. Well, if the fire no, truck no, comes, then about, it's a party. I'm, yeah, no, I'm talking about on the on the on the spiny tips of those big leaves. You know, the the main plant has got those big sharp pointed leaves. You can do it on the parts you can reach. I've, I've got some Christmas ornaments hanging on mine. They're red. Well, Joanne, I hope we hopefully we helped you out and uh, gave you some ideas, and um, you know, hopefully you can enjoy <laughs> your plants for as long as they're gonna be enjoyable. But let's go to um, our, I guess our last call for the day, and this is uh, Sanoa in Brandon. I'm sorry, say okay. your na- say your name for me one more time. Fiona, F I O N A, Princess Fiona from Straight, but I don't change at night. There you go. What what can I help you with? Um, I'm on the Bluetooth on the car, so it sometimes drops cold, so I'll ask my question quickly. Part of my backyard is very, very wet. Um, the grass grows like crazy, and so I made a making a rain garden, and I hate mowing the lawn anyway. The question I have is several people have suggested I may have an underground spring because it just really, really is so wet. Is there a way I can check on that? That's a real good question. You could start with the county extension office, or you can go to the to the to the uh, uh, Rankin County Soil and Water Conservation Office. They know all about that stuff. They understand the hydrology. But it's called the Soil and Water Conservation District, and there is a county county office. It's a county agency, and they would know. That'd be great. Because I never need to fertilize my grass, and I'm doing well planting a rain garden. It's coming up beautifully. Okay, Rankin County Soil and Water Conservation Department. That that's right, uh, service. And uh, if you can't remember that, just call the county agent's office, and, and they can help you with that. By the way, when you get ready to, to choose plants for the rain garden, I'm the guy. Give me a call or shoot me an email because I've been working with rain gardens and wetland-type plants for a long time. There's some really, really good ones that look great as regular garden plants that like to be wet part of the year and dry part of the year, what I call ditchbank-type plants. Some really, really cool ones that might surprise you. Be glad to help you with it. Now, Felder, you mentioned them almost every show. And give a give people a quick... Um I guess a quick overview of what the extension service, the county service, the kind of services that they provide when it comes to, you know, your home and your garden. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, back uh, over a hundred years ago, they came out with the what they call the the extension service. It's an uh, offshoot branch of the university. Uh, the university, whether it's Alcorn or Mississippi State or Texas A and M or University of Georgia, every state has got land grant colleges that have agriculture schools, and they do research and they share with each other. An extension service, they put informal professional professors out in all the counties to help farmers and home gardeners. So uh, every county has got a county extension office. It's an extension of Mississippi State or Alcorn State if it's in the southwest corner. And that's where you go if you have questions about farming or forestry or, or, or wildlife or, 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 or gardening, any kind of agriculture type stuff, including gardening. That's where you it basically is a portal to the university, and you can access it yourself by going to the to the website. It's called MSU Cares, C A R E S. It means Coordinated Access to Research. Anyway, MSUCares.com, and in the search box, type anything. It'll take you to publications written for Mississippi about that. Anyway, enough of that. I want to mention one quick thing, Joe, about the uh, the agave. I've got a full grown big agave that never dies in my front yard is made out of metal and you can't tell it because i spray paint it the same color as the other so that's what i do man anyway we're going to take a, a week-long break we're going to come back and talk with you about your yard and garden uh next week horticulture spell rushing here at mississippi public broadcasting it's hot you can't grow it all yourself go to a farmer's market take a kid with you and show them how to do what we do best and that's get dirty See y'all next week, folks. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.